You are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. You know, my heart just feels so full this morning just to get to be together. And, I, you know, as I've been preparing to release this book, whew, it's been a journey. But the one thing I wanted to say about it this morning is my heart has just continually filled up with gratitude to be placed in this family for such a time as this. Because honestly, in the last almost six years of being here, I have discovered more of my voice by being placed beside your voice. And so, so much of the mandate on my life has come to the surface because I've been set in a family like you. And, you know, there has been so many moments where I'll be speaking and I can feel your hunger pulling out of my spirit things I didn't even know was in there. And I I can feel your passion for Jesus pulling on the Christ in me in a way that I didn't even know was available. And so I just, I, I just feel like this, this book isn't just my message. And you know what, what I realized uh, towards the end, getting ready to release this book is I never want to waste time stewarding my own message. <laughs> I have fallen so wildly in love with the message of Jesus. And I want to give my life stewarding his message. I want to give my life stewarding his sound through my story. And we all have a unique individual story. But it's the message of Jesus that's to blow through our life uninhibited. And, you know, a couple weeks ago I found this verse in Revelation that, you know, some of those verses in Revelation, you're like, whew, fiery Jesus shows up, you know, like... And, you know, I, I just got in the way of this verse and in, in, in the message translation, it, it, it says, you've just, you've just become too busy. You've become busybodies and you've forgotten the main thing. You've forgotten the message that you once held in your hand. You've forgotten the person of Jesus in all of your busyness. And, you know, so, so much of this process of writing this book was slowing down and putting the message of Jesus in my hand and taking time to look at it and cherish it. And, you know, the, the message of the gospel is our message. <laughs> and, you know, I, this week I was looking at Isaiah 50 and I was just looking through all sorts of different translations and Isaiah was prophesying about how the Messiah would think and feel as he approached the cross. And you know, one of, one of the things he said that just gripped my heart was he said, I will not hide from shame. I will set my face like flint and I will never regret what I have done. <laughs> And you know, when we fast forward and we look at what Jesus did to a spirit of shame, 
it's astounding. You know, in Isaiah 50, it said, I will hold my face steady while they pluck every hair from my beard and spit on my face. And culturally, having your beard plucked and being spit on was the most shameful act in society then. And he was saying, I will hold my head steady. I will not hide from shame. And you know, I, I, I feel like we have a mandate in this hour of history to stare a spirit of shame down in the face. And, and I feel like we are a generation of Goliath, of Davids facing a Goliath. And it only takes six little stones, six little stones that, that we would be the people that would wake up to the sound of shame running rampant on the earth and say, how dare you taunt the armies of the living God? And, you know, Jesus made his way to the cross. He set his face like flint. And in Hebrews, it says, turn our eyes off of the ways of the world and fix them on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him. The, the Passion Translation says, because he was overwhelmed by the thought that you would be his. He made his way to the cross and he despised the shame. He conquered the humiliation. And, and that word despised shame, it, it means it wasn't a thought in his mind. It means that he thought nothing of the shame. He wasn't, he wasn't just feeling shame, experiencing shame and stepping up to the plate. It wasn't even in his thoughts that this was a shameful thing to have done to you. And, you know, I, I have felt Jesus calling me higher. In it, It's not just that we feel the shame and we do it anyway because we know we're called to live naked and unashamed. He actually set us so wildly free that, that shame isn't even something we can consult with in our thought life, that we, we're not even funneling through and checking with a spirit of shame before we decide how we're going to live our life. And, you know, I was at TJ Maxx last week, and they have Christmas stuff everywhere, so I was happy. And, and you know, I looked up at one point, and I saw a man on crutches missing a leg. And, you know, every time I see someone that's missing a limb, my heart instantly does a little flip of all sorts of things inside. Because years ago, I had this series of dreams that I could, I could put my hand on a limb and I could feel it growing out in, in my fingers. And I, I, I felt all the muscles come back together and I felt life come where there was zero life, like a, a resurrection of a limb. And have just been on a journey with the Lord in believing for that type of Christ-centered living where every impossibility bows at his name. And so, you know, I've had this wrestle for years, like, well, you know, I don't, I don't want to make it obvious that I notice they don't have a limb. I'm just like, I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable you know, and, and I'm shopping, you know, and I've been having these thoughts in my head for years. And I feel inside of me 
the person of Jesus. You know, uh, everybody can see that he's missing a leg. <laughs> everybody. Nobody cannot see that he's missing a leg. <laughs> and shame has taught you that it's shameful to uncover what's missing. And you've been a disciple of shame for long enough, huh? Would you like to be a disciple of me? And I felt, you know, I wrote a book on shame and now I feel invited <laughs> into another level of seeing the way that shame has weaseled its way into our thoughts, into us living out loud on purpose and no longer listening to that thing that says you need to tone it down. You're not, you need to not live so out loud. You're going to be more than they want. You're going to give them more than what they want. You're going to make them feel uncomfortable. Do you really want to be that kind of person that makes people feel uncomfortable? And, you know, that, that is years of a spirit of shame discipling the people of God. And if we're going to step up to the plate and disciple nations, we've got to have something better to give away than shame. We've got to have something better to give away in being followers of Jesus Christ. Because he didn't hide from shame. He set his face like flint and didn't even consider it as a thought in his mind. And so, you know, I, I just, I'm like, I'm done with this. I, I walked up to this sweet man and I said, excuse me, what happened to your leg? <laughs> and he looks at me and he's like, come over here. So I, I stepped to the side with him and he's like, why did you just ask me that? And I was like, well... You know, I was over there shopping, and I, I really felt like the God of the impossible was talking to me about your missing leg and that he's the God of the impossible over your life. Do you know him? <laughs> he's like, that is my God. My God is the God of the impossible. <laughs> and <laughs> come to find out, he totally believes his leg can grow back. And he's like... He's like, oh, yeah, I'm like Abraham. I call those things that are not as though they are. <laughs> and, you know, he said, I could feel as soon as you walked up to me that something good was about to happen to me. <laughs> and, you know, the mandate on our life to not complicate it is Acts 10.38. Have you heard of Jesus of Nazareth? Have you heard how he went about doing good, healing all those who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him? And you know that God being with us is meant to be the only coat we wear. That our God, the, the enemy is not afraid of our gifts the enemy is not afraid of our talents. He's not even afraid of our signs, wonders, and miracles. You know, people are performing miracles without the living God alive on the inside of him. He, he's not afraid of the people we know. He's not afraid of our name being famous in the earth. He's afraid of one man who won't dress him up with anything but the spirit of the living God. He's afraid, he's shaking in the corner, terrified that one woman would wake up in the morning and 
realize, she would wake up and realize it's, it's not fake power that I have to conjure up. It's not resting in anything, any prophetic word that's been spoken over my life. That the spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living and breathing and having his way in our soul. And I, I've just been dreaming. I've been laying my head on a pillow at night and I've felt the spirit of shame taunting me. And, and I lay on my pillow at night and I dream of a generation. I, I dream of generation that will wake up morning after morning and give a spirit of shame a heart attack. Like a, a panic attack. Like have to, to catch his breath because we woke up to the reality that no longer is there anything to hide. That no longer are we exhausting ourselves with fig leaves. No longer are, are we trying to pretend like we're worth having Christ in us. Because, you know, a spirit of shame has been pushing the people of God into tiny corners generation after generation. Saying, prove it. Prove it. They're going to know you by your love. He, he even uses Bible verses. Prove that you're worth God being with you. Emmanuel, the God that hung the stars. The God that gave everything shape. You're telling me you think he walks with you and talks with you in the cool of the day? Do you know who you are? You're a nobody. You belong in a corner. And I, I see a generation waking up to the sound of Jesus. Because the sound of Jesus, he reaches down to the dirtiest places in your soul. He gets his knees dirty inside of your corner and he whispers, You've always been mine. You've always been mine. You've always been mine. There's nothing to hide through the whole of your story. You know, I, I used to think if you can't tell a couple of your closest friends some of the worst moments, some of your greatest failures, some of the most traumatic moments in your life, then you're still harboring a spirit of shame inside your soul. And now I realized if you can't put it in a book and let anybody just pick it up whenever they want and flip through the pages and read your personal diary, you're still harboring a spirit of shame that's having influence over the way that you're seeing your past. Because, you know, I used to think the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west Mate, you just forget everything. It's blotched out of human history for the rest of time. <laughs> but that's what shame would love us to believe. Don't look at it. Don't talk about it. Never pick it up again. But that's not the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is I went and I sat in my real story. I looked around at all the devastation. I looked around at how hopeless and despairing and broken and traumatic my life was. And I, I sat in the dirt and I lifted up my voice and I waited for a response from heaven. And he heard my cry and delivered me from all my fears. And you know, Zephaniah, 
Jeremiah says he will turn our shame into renown and praise into all the earth. And the world isn't crying out for a savior that came for squeaky clean people. The world is crying out for a savior who will take them as they are. A savior who can take any life and raise it up in resurrection power, full of hope, full of joy, full of wonder. And you know, true freedom is I can walk through any story. Not just me, myself, but I can take my daughter and I can grab her hand and I can walk her through any story in my past. And no longer is it a sea of pain. No longer is it a sea of regret. No longer is it a sea of devastation and and shame written in everything. But I can grab her hand and I can take her by piles of rocks that I, I built one by one with years of process. And I can point to the pile of rocks and I could say, honey, I met Jesus here. I met Jesus here. And you know, in, in the Old Testament, the Lord commanded his people, build memorials, build memorials and walk your children by. Never stop talking about what the Lord has done. Never stop Bind it around your neck. Talk about it over dinner. Talk about it over breakfast. Talk about it when you're driving in the car. Always have before you what Jesus has done. And you know, the sea of forgetfulness is that he drowned all your sorrow. He he drowned all your shame. He drowned all the pain that was attached to everything you believed you were not. And all that remains is a memorial to Jesus. Look what you've done in my life. Look what you've done in my life. And, you know, I found, I found this verse this week that I, I just wanted to read over you all. And it's really just the cliff notes to my whole book. So if you don't have $12, here's the cliff notes. Or if you don't like to read... This is the overwhelming message, okay? I'm just going to save you some time if, if you're not into that type of thing. So, this is Psalm 34. Lord, I'm bursting with joy over what you've done for me. My lips are full of perpetual praise. I'm boasting of you and all your works. So let all who are discouraged take heart. Join me, everyone. Let's praise the Lord together. Let's make him famous. Let's make his name glorious to all. Listen to my testimony. I cried to God in my distress, and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Gaze upon him. Join your life with his, and joy will come. Your faces will glisten with glory. You'll never wear that shame face again. When I had nothing, desperate and defeated, I cried out to the Lord, and he heard me, bringing his miracle deliverance when I needed it most. The angel of the Lord stooped down to listen as I prayed, encircling me, empowering me, and showing me how to escape. 
He will do this for everyone who fears God. Drink deeply of the pleasures of this God. Experience for yourself the joyous mercies he gives to all who turn aside to hide themselves in him. And you know, the, the truth of being hidden in Christ is, is not so that there's less of you to see. You know, we have been hidden inside the light of the whole wide world. The brightest light the world has ever known walked the face of the planet and he said, you are the light of the world. He took his torch and he handed it to us and he said, you are a city on a hill. Don't, don't put a basket over the lamp. Don't let the devil, you know, puff it out. You are the light of the world. And when we're hidden inside the light of the world, it's not so that there's less of your story to be seen. It's not so just only the warm, fuzzy stuff is sitting up on the mountain. It's the whole of who you are alive inside of Christ. And you know, a spirit of shame wants to put a robe on an entire generation of Jesus followers. And, and the whole goal is to get us so comfortable in being hidden that we suffocate under the robe. But being covered in a robe of righteousness as our only defense isn't like a physical big old robe that we're swimming in. Our robe of righteousness is the righteousness of Christ Jesus. It is the person of Jesus that every day I pick up my cross. Every day I pick up the presence of the living God and I carry him around as my only defense, as my only hiding place. And you know, the, when Jesus set his face, the same exact wording that Isaiah used, He's, the Bible says in the, in the Gospels that he set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. That he refused to be distracted to accomplish what he had come to do. And, you know, before he was crucified, he was mocked. And, you know, Roman soldiers, an entire battalion, which was hundreds of soldiers, gathered around to mock him. And they put a literal robe on his back. And that's when they wrapped the crown of thorns and pushed it into his head. And they put a fake staff in his hand. And, and, and they, they knelt down and they mocked him. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And, and they spit on him and they beat him. And, you know... He knew in that moment that one day, every knee would bow, like literally bow and confess, Jesus is Lord. And he knew that, that there would be elders in heaven, that there would be generation after generation running their crowns to the feet of Jesus and saying, just like we did today, worthy, 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 worthy worthy, worthy, worthy. He knew who he was and he was silent. He, he didn't utter one word as they mocked him and dumped piles of shame. Who do you think you are 
saying you're the Messiah, saying you're the king of all kings, the son of the living God. And they mocked him. And, you know, after he had been scourged. So many, many people in that day did not survive the scourging. It was so brutal that, you know, the commentaries say that he probably had literal organs exposed and could barely stand as they were mocking him before he went to the cross. And he was silent in that moment. So the people of God would never again have to use their voice to defend the truth. He never once defended, I know who I am. He, he could have rose up in perfect power in one moment and he refused to hide from shame. He conquered its humiliation. He didn't even, he thought nothing of the shame he was enduring so that never again would you have to put something on or take something off to defend who you belong to, to defend the truth that you are a son and daughter of the living God. And, you know, he went to the cross and and endured to the very end. And, and that word endured means he stayed present. He didn't check out in his pain from the very beginning of the crucifixion in the garden. You know, it, the, the commentaries say the body of Jesus was crucified on the cross, but the soul of Jesus was crucified in the garden. And he yelled out in agony, God, not my will, but yours be done. And he yielded in the darkest hour of all of human history. So much so that he, he shed the first drop of blood that would forever set any desiring captive free. One drop of the blood of Jesus and we are made as white as snow. And you know, sometimes when I'm wrestling, I'm, I'm wrestling to feel connected. I'm wrestling with the reality of things shame is shouting in my head. I just get as low as I can possibly go. And you know, sometimes when we, when we feel a battle in our mind to use our voice to defend the truth, the first thing we need to do is get lower. We gotta get, we gotta get dirt on our knees because the lower we go, the more like Jesus we become. And, and I, I just lay down and I envision that garden. And I just, I just lift my head up right underneath of his head and I, I memorize what I could imagine the agony of that moment looking like. And I just wait for the moment that first drop of blood falls from his face and I just let it hit mine. And I say, Jesus, let me treasure it with the whole of my life. Let me treasure the sacrifice. Let me live a life that's worthy of the gospel. Let me live a life that's worthy of what has been done. And I, I, I hear his invitation. I have memorized your pain. I memorized it every step of the way. Isaiah says he actually carried our guilt. He actually put the weight of our shame on his back. And he literally became intimately acquainted with the weight of what was crushing the life right out of us. And 
situation. I have memorized your pain. Will you memorize mine? Will my sacrifice be enough for you? Will it be enough for you? And you know, every morning we wake up inside of the sufficiency of Jesus. Every morning, mercy is brand new. The mercy of Jesus that will never run dry. And you know, the even, even as we step into the Christmas season and, you know, sometimes there's pain around the holidays from what's missing, the people that are missing, the, the, the deficits we feel in our soul. And, you know, what we do with pain as believers is entirely different than what we did with pain before we had Jesus. Because we, we have a place now to bring our pain. We don't pretend it doesn't exist. We, we don't try to look away and find a sea of forgetfulness to drown our sorrow. We, we run towards the person of Jesus with our pain. And we lay down in the dirt and we study. What did your face look like when you felt what I'm feeling? When you memorized what I was walking through, what did your face look like? And we know in Hebrews that there was also joy in that moment. That he taught us the way for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. He stayed present in the pain because joy was motivating his heart. And you have permission, even in this very moment, to have joy and pain inside the same cup. You have permission to celebrate the sufficiency of what has been done and feel a deficit in your soul at the same exact time. And we cannot become more like Jesus without Jesus. You know, and, and the whole lie of shame... You need to figure this out so you can finally be with him. And, you know, I heard Josh Marsengill several months ago say, religion is constantly saying, wait, wait, wait. And, you know, religion is shame all wrapped up in a, demon a demonic package. And it's constantly saying, wait, wait, just work on this a little bit longer. Work on your thought life a little bit longer. Work, work out that trauma. Work out that unforgiveness. Work out the deficits in your soul so you can finally live with Emmanuel. So you can finally experience the joy to the world our king has come. And that is the whole trap of shame. Thinking we could become like Jesus without being with Jesus. It's just works. And you know, the disciples modeled it so well. He, he walked by in the cool of the day. They're fishing, living their life. And a stranger, stranger Jesus says, follow me. And the Bible says they just drop their nets, leave their fathers, get up and follow him. The very thing we tell our kids never to do. <laughs> don't follow a stranger, don't take free candy, you know, like, <laughs> and nothing qualified them to walk with Jesus 
except one invitation from the Messiah. And your entire access to walk with Jesus is resting on this one thing. He called to himself those he wanted. And he walked into your life and he said, follow me. Follow me. He didn't, he didn't present a list of 45 rules that you have to keep to follow him. He, he didn't map out a plan. This is what we're going to do. We're going to overcome this. We're going to walk through this fire. We're going to take the world. No, he, he didn't even give him a last name. He just said, follow me. There's no plan. They woke up every morning with one thing, one goal on their mind. I'm just going to be with Jesus. I'm going to be with Jesus. Wherever Jesus is, that's where I'm going to be. And, and Jesus was inviting them in to his lifestyle. And his lifestyle was every morning waking up, Father, what are we doing? Because I'm only going to go where you're going. I'm only going to say what you're saying. I'm only going to be where you are. And he was fulfilling generations of prophecy that there, you know, uh, when Hannah was crying out for a Samuel, God said, I'm going to raise up a prophet who will be who I want him to be and will say what I want him to say. And, you know, Samuel was a prophetic picture. It said not one of his words fell to the ground. And in every New Testament believer is greater than Samuel. Because we have the same resurrected Holy Spirit that Jesus had within himself. And that our mission in life, if you choose to accept it, is to wake up every morning inside the presence of mercy. And not, not striving to be where he is, but waking up every morning, no, I was invited here. I, I'm not an unwanted guest at this table. I, I was invited here. I am wanted here. And, and you know, when, when shame is whispering, you're rejected. You're abandoned. Look, look at how much everyone else is carrying my, the presence of God. Look at what's flowing from their life. Look at how they hear God. Look at how they walk with God. Did you see how they were flopping on the ground like a fish? Did you see what they've accomplished with their life? Do you see what's flowing out of them? You need more time before you can be called a follower of Jesus. You need more. You need more. You need more healing before you can sit at his table. And it's, it's the very opposite message that Jesus came trumpeting. He came trumpeting. Hey, are, you, are you broken? There's room for you. Are you wounded? There's room for you. Are you in need of a healer? There's room for you. Do you have sin? There's room for you. Because I have become more than enough. And, you know, we don't get our life right so we can finally be with Jesus. Our life becomes aligned in purity and power and righteousness because we've been with Jesus, not in order to be with Jesus. And, you know, I love how Bill Johnson points out the story of Zacchaeus. And he says, Jesus, you know, points up to the sycamore tree and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house today. You know, and 
Jesus goes inside the house of this deceitful tax collector, and he's wealthy, 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 and Zacchaeus invites him in to the place of shame. Look at all this stuff I have that doesn't belong to me. Look at all this stuff. When my head hits the pillow at night, I know I got it unrightfully. I know, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I'm dirty. And Jesus sits in the middle of his dirt and eats a meal with Zacchaeus. And without any record of Jesus giving him feedback about his choices, out of Zacchaeus' heart just bubbles up. I'm going to give it back. I'm going to double it. I, I, can't, I can't help but respond to the love that I just tasted. I can't, I can't help but live clean because of who I'm sitting next to. And, and that is our way into sanctification. That is our way into Christ-likeness. And this morning, you know, the areas of our life that are below the standard of Jesus, that are below the purity of Jesus, that are below the nature of Jesus, those areas of our life, they need more of Jesus. They need more of the unlimited access to the presence of the living God. And the spirit of shame knows if you sit with him, you'll never be the same. If you sit with him, if you dine with him, you will wake up to who you really are. And those things that once gripped you, those toxic sinful patterns that wrap themselves around your life like a deadly snake, they will suddenly lose their power because the person of love is present. Because the person of perfect purity is present. And, you know, we don't become clean because we have, you know, three years under our belt so we can finally say, oh, I'm really free of that thing. We, we're not clean. I mean, where is the line when we think like this? Like, okay, well, I didn't, I didn't lie yesterday, so I'm okay today. Or do I need six months of not lying to believe that I'm free of the guilt of lying? Or, or whatever it is, it, it is a trick to wrap us up into working on an old man that is dead, that is defeated. It's like constantly going over to the casket and gazing at her and being like, wow, you are so ugly. Oh, let's put some lipstick on you. I mean, let's, 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 maybe, maybe a Christmas sweater. I mean, let's, let's, let's just try to cover up how dead and shameful you are. And, you know, the gospel is that you, you don't have to work in a casket any longer. Your life is no longer tied to the spirit of death that was like a ball and chain around your ankle. And every time you heard the words, you know, fear, you came running like your name is afraid. And every time you heard the words dirty, you came running like you belong to a spirit of shame. And, and the gospel broke every chain, every name that you learned in the trauma of your past, every name that shame gave you in the dark, every name that fear gave you when you were a literal mess. And the person of Jesus, you know, Psalm 23 says, 
He set a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And that the person of Jesus, he came and broke your chains by being with you. He came and sat down in the muck and the mire and he got out the fine china and he said, we're going to linger here. <laughs> and we, we, we were waiting for him to scoop us up and take us to a pretty field of wild flowers. And he came ready to hunker down. He came ready to set a table and say, I, I, I want everything that's been tormenting you for the last 36 years to hear what I'm about to say. Let's stay here a little longer. Can we linger in the fire? You know, and, and we're, we're like crying out for rescue. And he's like, I'm right here. I'm your rescuer. I'm a person. Your rescue isn't him plucking you up and putting you in a different life. Your rescue isn't him plucking you up and putting you in the story you wish you had. Your rescue is the perfect spotless lamb of God sitting down in your guilt, sitting down in your shame and saying, I'm not afraid to touch you. I'm not afraid to be near you. You, you want another drink? We're going to be here for a while. And he takes his time. He takes years until we own that place of devastation until no longer are we concerned about the piles of guilt and shame. We've turned our eyes onto Jesus. And no longer does the external circumstance of our life distract us from the wonder of who he is and what he's done. You know, religion constantly wants us to be distracted by what we're missing, what we need more of. And, and Jesus came, turn your eyes upon me. Look away from the ways of the world and behold the wonder of me. And, you know, as you're dining there with Jesus, in the middle of all your mess, he says things like, you're clean. You're clean. Look how clean I've made you. You're worth it. You're worth it. When they were plucking out my beard and spitting on my face, never once did I hide from your shame. I'm not ashamed to walk you on my arm. I'm not ashamed to sit in the darkest places in your story. I don't want to forget them. I want you to remember who I've become for you. I want you to build a pile of memorial stones right here so you can tell your children's children's children what I've done, that I believed you were enough that you are the wanted one. You're not the dirty one. You're not wrapped up in perversion. You're my pure, spotless bride. There's no wrinkle in you. There's no flaw in you. Many women have done well, but you exceed them all. And, and you're still sitting there all dirty in the muck and the mire in the purest reflection of who you really are can only be found looking in his eyes. And, you know, for, for so long, we've been looking to the right and to the left, to our circumstances, to the loudest voices in our life. And, you know, to be a bondservant of Jesus Christ, to be a follower of the living God, means I have severed my tie with every other 
choices, that no longer do I get feedback about who I belong to from my bank account. No longer do I get feedback from any external situation or external voice. To be a follower of Jesus means I gave up my right to elevate any voice above his, even if it's your own voice. No longer is my opinion, if I'm going to have a Lord, if I'm going to every morning wake up and say, I belong to you, if I'm going to say, my life is hidden inside of Christ, it means there's one opinion that bows to every other in my life. And it's the opinion of Jesus Christ. And any area where we feel afraid to live bold, out loud, naked, and unashamed, it's because we have elevated an opinion above his. Because when we can look into his eye and know, wow, what we see in the reflection of his eye what else, what else could we need in our life? And you know, when, when Jesus, the crucifixion was over and Jesus was completely dead and he, he was on the cross and his body was hanging by threads of flesh and there was pools of blood at, at the bottom of the cross. Joseph of Arimathea, comes to take away the body of Jesus. And he was the actual person who, who had to take down the son of the living God from the tree. He, he actually had to unwind his poems from the nails. The feet of mercy that everyone had fallen over and walked away free and clean and pure needed a friend. And the body, the literal blood of Jesus was draped over Joseph of Arimathea. And he was the one who carried the body of Jesus to the tomb. He, he was the first person to be literally covered in the blood of Jesus. And he was smelling the fresh blood that was right, right there in his face. He, he was literally wearing the blood of Christ. And he carried Jesus into the tomb. And, you know, every single one of us to personally experience the gospel has to feel the weight of the demolished body of Jesus upon our own. We have to feel the weight upon our own personal story, upon your own personal life. And when our arms are full of crucified Jesus, there's no room for shame. There's no, how could we hang on to guilt any longer? How, how could we hang on to our selfish, self-righteous pride? How could we hang on to our own ambition? How can we hang on to any opinion of man, any circumstance that would wanna sneak its way and lie to the soul of our life? When our arms are full, of the demolished body of Jesus. And we are literally feeling and smelling and experiencing the weight of what has been done. And, you know, we were as dead as Jesus, Galatians says. Dead, dead, dead. 
And we were carried to the tomb so we, just like him, could be raised up into resurrected life. And the end of your story will never be the tomb. The end of your story will never be death and defeat. And if there's no joy, if, if there's no overwhelming hope, it, you know, when the Lord brought back the captive people of Zion, they were like those who dream. Their mouths were filled with laughter. If there's no dreams, if there's no overwhelming laughter, the story of Jesus is not finished in your life. And you are called to live in wild, uninhibited, resurrected life. The world doesn't need you to tone it down. The world doesn't need less of you showing up on the scene. The, the world needs your bright, bold, unashamed voice ringing through every crack and crevice. There's a God. There's a Savior. He's enough for that. He's enough for that. And you know, Romans says that the earth, even the earth is groaning for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. And sons and daughters, they've learned this one cry, Abba. Father, Abba, Father. And when your voice starts ringing on the earth, Abba, Father, your greatest evangelistic tool is not the Romans road or any of those things, not a track. Your greatest evangelistic tool is filling up the whole of your life with this one cry, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. Because when, when the world hears, there's a father, there's a father. The cry of sons and daughters, the happy sound of sons and daughters becomes a healing balm for every orphan spirit. It becomes a healing balm for every place of trauma and lack because there is not one problem that the world is facing today that a good and perfect father cannot fix. And so let's just go ahead and all stand up and, and we, just, we just lift up a cry together. It's a, it's a happy cry of Papa. We, we found our father. We found our sound ringing on the earth. And it, it's the sound of sons who's been set free. That we were once captives and now our feet have been set free to dance and sing. And, and Jesus we pick up our stones and, and we see what's been taunting generation after generation. And, and we say, how dare you taunt the armies of the living God? So we, we just commit ourselves again this morning, Jesus. We're going to be followers of Christ. We're going to be disciples of Jesus. We're going to live with nothing to hide. We're going to live inside of resurrection and Holy Spirit life. And we love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We're going to become like Jesus by being with Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. And every, every time we gather together, we're not coming to beg you to be near. We're waking up every morning aware Emmanuel is here.
just need, you need more of Jesus to be like Jesus this morning. If anything just is pressing on your heart, if, if there's any area of your life that you've been avoiding running into with all of your energy, with all of your might, we're just from, from, from top to bottom dedicating our life to live as followers of Jesus disciples of this beautiful king thank you for listening to the sermon of the week to stay connected with Bethel Atlanta visit www.bethelatlanta.com